Hello and welcome to the In the Booth podcast. I'm your host, Alan Etzler. I'm joined today by News Post education reporter, Emma Kerr. Emma, thanks for joining me. Thank you. And we have a very special guest in today, Board of Education candidate and incumbent, Liz Barrett. Liz, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. And so we want to get right into some of the issues, but uh, first, just sort of give us a little rundown of how the campaign has been going. We're only a couple weeks out now. And uh, what are some of the big issues that you've been campaigning on this election season? Well, I had to decide first why I wanted to run for re-election. Um, four years went fast. And when I joined the board in 2014, we were coming out of a really tough couple of budget years. So um, my campaign has been focused on the idea of continuous improvement. So we have come out of some of the toughest budget years ever. We've worked hard. I voted for uh, the new t- uh, salary transition for teachers. And it's really hard uh, time now to focus hard on the achievement of our students. So I'm focused on opportunity gaps among many groups of students. And um, just like I've done for four years, uh, connecting with our parents, our families, and our students and our teachers. All right. And so we'll go into the, into the first question, Emma. Uh what, what issue do you want to talk about? Great. First? So uh, we've been asking candidates, you know, a couple of questions that have been big issues that have come up um, in the past few months. And one of those has been school safety. So just to kick it off, um, you know, could you tell me a little bit about what you think FCPS could be doing more of? Um, are there things that FCPS needs to do in your mind to keep schools safer? Well, I mean, FCPS, I mean, there's there's no good answer to are you prepared enough because no one is ever prepared enough, and I think that's a that's a that's a good posture for any sort of safety or preparedness. It's always about uh, again continuous improvement and looking at looking at gaps. Um, FCPS has worked hard to uh, create uh, sing- single entry um, background checks for visitors, uh, making sure that every uh, visitor is run through the. Um, uh, the uh, sexual offender registry, that's a, that's the new Raptor system. Um, and then the uh, avoid, defend, deny training that's ongoing in our schools is a different posture than we were taking before with lockdowns and things like that. So um, our security team has been working hard on modern practices. But the most important thing to me is that we are giving our teachers opportunities and our staff opportunities to slow down and connect with students every day. Um, Unfortunately, one of the most likely threats to our students is some of our students themselves with mental health issues on the on the increase. I voted for uh, licensed clinical social workers in our schools and more people on the ground to work with our students and families. There is nothing more important than a personal connection with students every day to assess safety risks to them and their homes, uh, to make sure they are safe and comfortable when they come to school. And um, to just really get a sense of the culture and the uh, the atmosphere in every building every day. Yeah, and now when we talk about social, uh, when we talk about sorry, school safety, we're also talking about social media. I think I got an alert yesterday about a social media threat, and you know, are schools safe? Is there anything the board can do about those kinds of issues? Well, you know, we spent um, quite a few months this last year looking at our social media policy, particularly as it relates to the use of social media by staff. Again, you know, as culture is established in each school building, you know, I, I do believe in strong discipline, but the connections that our staff can make with students, when we're, when we're running around constantly trying to prepare for the park test, for example, when, when school is disrupted, there's not an atmosphere where students really have time to even breathe, let alone our staff. And those connections are so crucial. You know, social media is really challenging, and it is an incumbent on parents who can be involved to be monitoring that. And I think the connections with the school are crucial. You know, a couple of years ago, we had a really, really terrifying situation in the Catoctin Theater. And there was a student and her parents, you know, identified that 
she was actively planning something. And what a brave and courageous move for her parents to step forward and say, you know, instead of trying to just say this is a family issue and not share it with others, they brought it forward. And I, I believe they save lives for sure and prevented injuries. So those connections with families, you know, we need to listen better in Frederick County Public Schools. We need to listen to families better. We need to create more avenues for parents to uh, for parents to be able to come forward and families to come forward. And I think the ombudsman position that I've supported is a is a critical component of that. Parents can share confidential issues. Um, and, and try to um, get resolution to problems and questions that they're having that maybe they're not having satisfaction with at the school level. But um, the board plays a role, to answer your question more specifically, the board plays a role in those welcoming conversations that are also tough sometimes and making sure that we can say, oh, we have an issue here. And let's really talk about it frankly, because that's the only way we're going to improve. You mentioned getting staff to slow down. And, and so I, I want to sort of get your uh, opinion on what can the board do to encourage that and get get staff this opportunity to really slow down and talk to students and get to know people Um, because there's a lot that these kids have to do now there's a lot that staff has to do now so how can we either cut back on that or give them those opportunities yeah a couple of specific things one of the first things that I prioritized when I was elected in 2014 was to stop complaining so much about state and federal mandates and try to act locally um, to push back on testing. And so um, policy 511 is our testing policy. And so, you know, Frederick County can't say no to state and federal tests. We simply can't. But what I did is I worked with colleagues and myself on the policy committee to create changes to try to push back on local testing that was still mandatory, that we sometimes used for accountability, but that we could push back on. So we reduced the number of hours students spent in local mandated tests. Additionally, um, and that, that creates some you know free time for staff, not free time, but time to really focus on instruction and connections with students. Um, the second piece of that was creating a way for students to refuse. Parents still cannot refuse on behalf of their students unless their student is unable to communicate um, uh, through voice or writing. Um, but a way for students to refuse if they needed to provide more voice for students. Um, and uh, that's one piece. I think uh, we, we do need to start being bolder at the advocacy level, at the state and federal level. I do think our board has increased its advocacy role in saying, you know, we're talking about um, a couple of issues right now with the number of surveys that we, we, um, we make students take in school that don't come from FCPS. We have st- surveys that we use for our own data. But pushing back on those state and federal requirements to say, look, we're doing something better here and doing a better job of saying, we're doing this and we're doing it better, so can you give us a break on this? I think those are important questions. And, you know, unfortunately, I haven't gotten a lot of traction from some of my colleagues on the board about pushing back sometimes. I don't think our federal and state money is going to go away tomorrow if we say no to something. I think we have to push it sometimes. And, you know, I'm hopeful that our delegation will help us in that effort as well. But day to day, you know, there's, you know, conversations all the time like, you know, the dyslexia, the, the parents of students with dyslexia came forward and they said, look, our students, our students aren't getting the right services. And the board said, whoa, you know, they're really not. And so we funded that. We followed through on the programming. But what we learned through that is that screening programs that our staff is taking time to use perhaps are not working. So we need different universal screening programs. So when we talk about giving staff the time to do things, 
It's making sure we are doing the things that are most cost effective and most efficient so people aren't wasting time giving a screening tool that doesn't work. So that it's all about that continuous improvement piece. And we have not done, in my belief, a very good job of assessing the results of a lot of our investments. So we're having a lot of conversation on the board right now about our whole approach to literacy, structured literacy or balanced literacy. We do know we have a literacy issue in Frederick County right now, and that's a big, big issue. But it's not because staff's not running around trying to teach the, the curriculum that they have. It's our job as a board to work with our senior leadership to make sure the curriculum is working so staff can do the most efficient things. Those questions are really important. And when we're doing the right things, then staff can focus on the right things. I want to go back to, to school safety real quick because you mentioned the Raptor program. And, and one of the, I guess, concerns that have been brought forward to us is through uh, parents, particularly at the, at the more diverse, uh, ethnically, racially diverse schools, having concerns about having to show IDs. Do you... Do you think there are ways around that? Have there been ways that have been put in around that? And, and do you think that those are valid concerns? And how do you encourage them to still be involved in that, in that school? Yeah, I think it's there is definitely a potential for a chilling effect on the welcome of family when you have people saying, I need your ID to get into a school. Um, what should have been communicated and what I believe has communi been communicated is that there are alternate ways to um, demonstrate your identity. Basically, the Raptor system takes a person's uh, name and identifying information and runs it through the uh, sexual offender registry and um, to make sure that this person is not on the registry list. And if they are, then what should have happened is they should have been, um, security would have created the, the boundary around the school property for that person. Um, so it's obviously an essential, it's an essential security tool. Um, I do believe that uh, parents and community members are also able to just give their name and date of birth. And um, if they need to confirm an address or something like that to make sure it's them in the system, they're able to do that. So um, I don't believe photo ID is the only way to, to enter the school. And I, I know that um, information was sent home um, in Spanish and English and other languages to communities where there were, there was a concern. Um, as a board member, I've asked explicitly to make sure that um, FCPS, um, the company that, the Raptor company, um, is not sharing any information with other law enforcement databases. This has nothing to do with immigration or any other questions like that. Would you like to see more SROs in schools, more uh, available SROs for? I would. I would. I think our SROs provide, a, obviously, a bunch of valuable services. One of the th most important things they do is in many of our high schools in, in particular, they, they develop personal relationships with students. And I think um, the idea of community policing and the idea of um, you know students having a collaborative relationship and a friendly relationship with law enforcement officers, um, having more emergency responders on the ground if something does happen. Um, you know, we have SROs being shared in feeder patterns right now and um, stopping by an elementary school or stopping by a middle school, but they're spending most of the time at the high school. It's a tremendous amount of funding, and we definitely need help from our state and federal partners to do that. And the other issue is that we don't have enough police officers in Frederick County. We would have to hire, you know, more police officers would have to be hired, more sheriff's officers would have to be hired to do that. So it's a number of challenges. It is a priority. 
Uh, you mentioned at the top of the podcast a uh, pay scale for teachers. Um, what about diverse teachers and and possibly looking at recruiting more diverse teachers? That's been a topic that's come up a bit. Um, are you in support of of recruiting diverse teachers? What kind of efforts do you support? Well, absolutely, and it's it's part of our board strategic plan that we work toward having a population of teachers and staff that mirrors the diversity of our students, and we're nowhere near that. And you know, there are there are um, undeniable data um, that you know an African American student in third or fourth grade who has a teacher of color uh, is more likely to graduate from high school. And you know, um, I mean, with the exception of my kindergarten teacher in Myersville, when I went to school in Frederick County a long time ago, I never had a teacher of color. It wasn't until I got to college. Um, so I don't know that the experience has changed a lot for a lot of our students. And that's unfortunate. Um, so here are the hard things, right? Here are the things that everybody says, oh, we have a nationwide teacher shortage. Okay, that's a problem. Um, so there are fewer candidates of color. That's a problem. Fewer students are entering uh, college to study education. Okay, that's a problem. We know all these things. So what are we going to do besides say, well, these are the problems? You know, I've proposed and I've pushed hard for more modern HR practices throughout the school system. Um, we are dealing with um, a generation of folks who are not going to career fairs like back in the day. They're not responding to classified ads in the newspaper. And I'm not saying that's the full approach of our HR division. And one of the other things that we run against is we, we, we neighbor two very large counties, Howard and Montgomery. And because, of, because they know they're going to have vacancies, they're able to actually hire people before a position comes open. We don't, we don't do that. And I'm not sure that we can't not do that. So I think trying to trying to solve that problem would be crucial. Um, I think that we have to start. I, I just proposed this for an agenda item the other week. Actually, we need to look at more modern HR practices. We need to look at things like student loan repayment. We need to look. Um, you know, I voted to increase the. You know, not voted to increase, but advocated to increase uh, growing our own teachers here. Um, I think we've, uh, the teacher academy that we have, they're, they're all good ways to do that, so we need to invest in those things. But again, I think um, when we modernize our HR practices and really focus on what this generation of people looking for a job needs, you know, this generation is not interested necessarily in staying in a job for 25 or 30 years. They're looking for, you know, job satisfaction. They're looking for flexibility. They're looking for leadership opportunities. And one of the things I've been talking about, too, is teaching is not in itself, like teaching is in itself, I'm sorry, teaching is in itself a vocation, right? People don't go to be teachers because they want to be principals. Some of them do. So we've got to create leadership pathways that give people the incentive to stay in teaching, which means, you know, leadership opportunities on a staff or a team. And we don't have enough of those right now. So we're losing good teachers to administrative positions. So all of that working together and then active, continued active recruiting where we do have a teacher of color, we do have a teacher that's um, international or um, uh, working to um, recruit friends, I think hiring bonuses and things like that, all kinds of things that are you know, more common in the private industry. When you say more modern HR practices, what types of ideas do you, do you have that, that you think would, would allow for easier teacher recruitment? 
Well, I think really talking seriously about student loan repayment is one. Um, these are these are best practices in private industry and best practices for the 21st century job seeker. Um, I think uh, partnerships within the community. I mean, I'm I'm not being silly, but you know, gym memberships, things like that, to recruit people. You know, we do a lot of job fairs. It's very traditional to do a lot of job fairs. We spend um, a decent amount of human resources money traveling to job fairs, and I. I don't know that that's a significantly good return on investment. I think more social media advertising, things like that. I'm not an HR expert, though, but I think we need a, a fresh approach in that department. Um, and I have been I have been fairly critical because we are not getting, not only is there a nationwide teacher shortage, we weren't ready for it. And we're responding, plus we have this other issue with lack of diversity. Um, some other pieces, uh, you know, they spend a lot of time focusing on historically black colleges and universities. You know, um, every year we hire a certain number of teachers who are working for certification. Um, they have like a certain number of months or a year or something like that to get their certification. But, you know, what other avenues do we have to hire to get qualified teachers in here? I think I think it's a big conversation. And we need probably, I mean, I'm not, I'm not interested in throwing money at consulting, but having human resources consultants work with us. Uh-huh. So we have a problem. If you are reelected, one of the big issues that the board will be addressing, it will be redistricting. Um, and first, I want to ask, do you support a countywide redistricting? And um, what kind of is your perspective when you're approaching these redistricting questions? Well, unfortunately, um, I, I've been on the board for a redistricting. We did a small redistricting um, for the construction of Butterfly Ridge. Would you call that small? <laughs> Comparatively, I guess. Well, I can tell you that very personally, you know, um, you know, everybody was telling me how stinky it was to do redistricting, and then it actually affected my own neighborhood. So my, my stepdaughter is now going to a different school than I expected her to. And um, so and my neighbors were, of course, I was target number one in terms of all their questions because that redistricting was not supposed to touch our neighborhood, but it eventually extended down Ballinger Creek Pike. Um, do I support countywide redistricting? I support long overdue proactive action to uh, deal with the fact that we have a uh, dwindling number of seats in many of our schools. We are totally overcrowded in a lot of our schools, and we have open seats in many of our schools, and we have the largest uh, geographic landmass county in the state of Maryland. So we have a number of challenges, but we have opportunities to um, – utilize available space. I think partnerships with the county about some of our underpopulated schools in terms of how better to use that space. You know, I came on the board and I I didn't understand why we weren't talking about closing schools. And I I quickly realized that's not a popular conversation. It's not one that I'm interested in, but we have to, I think we have to shake up our feeder patterns and we have to do that collaboratively with the public. And I think that's a long process. Um, You know, we're not going to get... we are not going to be able to build the number of schools that we need to build. We have renovations that are long overdue. Middletown, Catoctin, Walkersville, Brunswick, those schools have not gotten the attention they need. So we need approaches that, that balance all of that. So when you say, do you want, do you support a countywide redistricting? I support all of the analysis necessary to try to straighten things out. We have feeder patterns that look like the worst Warshak tests ever. I mean, the maps are like, you know, all over the place. What does that look like? Does that look like busing up to some of our, you know, under capacity schools? 
I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that occurred to me, and it was not a popular idea, was, you know, Waverly is sitting there completely over capacity. So we, we built a brand new elementary school, and we didn't really solve our problems because Waverly is sitting there tremendously over capacity. And of course, we have a we have a, a renovation plan underway at Waverly um, for the near future. But you know, Braddock Mountain is not some, you know, it's not Mount Everest. And the idea that we can't put a bus, you know, to the Middletown feeder from gold, the Golden Mile Route 40 um, is, is confusing to me. Um, and I've proposed that idea multiple times because Middletown is starting to approach, our Middletown school is starting to approach capacity, but nowhere near the Waverly level. So um, it's ideas like that. Um, you know, if you look at reverse, kind of a reverse commute, you know, taking some of the, if Middletown becomes overcrowded, taking some of the Middletown kids and moving them to Myersville, moving some of the Myersville kids to Wolfsville, it's the same bus trip. So some of those ideas. But no, the idea that we put a kid on Urbana to a bus to Sibyllisville is ridiculous. Um, we have to look at what works. We have to look at our um, travel times our policies about walking and busing. It's a huge, huge undertaking. I want to go into to talk about links real quick. Um, how have you seen the first year? I mean, from the beginning of the process to, to now, you've been there. So how have you seen the process of links? Where do you stand on the program? And are there aspects that you think are worth expanding uh, to other schools? Yeah, I mean, I think links kind of happened fast. I mean, the state money happened, and um, the superintendent was very committed. And I think the board... Um, uh, you know, the board, uh, we, we moved along. Um, and I'm excited for the kids at Frederick High School. Um, I'm excited for the students there because I do think it's really great opportunities. Um, I have two concerns. The first is uh, Frederick High School is an is extremely diverse population. Um, it has one of our lowest graduation rates in Frederick County. We have pretty historic achievement gaps at Frederick High School. And there is a lot of focus at links on both career and college prep. And I want to make sure we're balancing both of those because um, we have a number of students who are ready to go to work right out of high school or the military. We also need to make sure that we're making sure that for every student, we're presenting the full options. And I, I'm not saying that's not happening, but I think it needs to be an emphasis. And it's something that I've heard from the community about. Um, the things that I love about links are that it should be what happen what should be happening at every high school, right? They have mentors, they have advocates that work with them every day. So there's a caring adult. We have wraparound services at that school. We're serving supper. Um, there's alternate schedules available. So those are best practices. So we know from from information that we've already gotten for the first year of links that attendance is up, like markedly so amongst all of our groups there. So. Well, what's the correlation or causation? What things are making kids come to school? Is it that personal connection? Is it the fact that they can eat three meals a day there if they need to? Is it the extended hours for studying? Is it that beautiful new building? I mean, they all play a role. So um, I'm excited. I think um, our board needs to focus on making sure uh, the accountability piece is there with the LINCS program. We've, we've expended a lot of staff resources and money there. And then whatever is working there, let's apply it across all of our high schools. Let's let's use it as a best practice. Uh, would you support dedicating more funds to links? Should state running state funding, um, you know, not come back, or, or just if you're looking at expanding links to to be putting more money behind that? Well, I think we need to see what the results look like. I mean, um, 
so that's going to be my answer for every question about spending more money is what, you know, what results are we achieving? So are there specific programs and links that you think are particularly uh, applicable to other schools or you're still waiting to see? I think the approach of links is is a good one. I think um, in, by that I mean uh, the mentorship with a, with a caring adult. I think the connect period they do. Um, I think offering seminars for students to go to and pick and choose field trips. I think talking about a wide range of careers. I think all of that stuff's really important. I just don't want to lose focus in the middle of that on students who want to go apply for Stanford. And I think finding that balance in a program like that is is a challenge. Um, so making sure there's still tremendous academic rigor along with, you know, here's introduction to different kinds of jobs. And, you know, I think the Lynx program, the Lynx program folks, Michelle Shear has been just tireless in, in really starting that program in the Genesis. Um, those folks have worked really hard. It is a giant, it is a giant project. And these these kids, we have to make sure we're meeting all of their needs. But um, in terms of applying stuff to different schools, I mean, having a having a specific advocate or a mentor for every student at every school, can you imagine the benefit that they would have from having one person in the building who 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 is focused on them every single day? I mean, their teachers are as well, but they have other duties. So when you're looking at you mentioned earlier that you're looking to see more of a boldness, I think you said out of the board, and I think you were talking specifically about in relation to the state, but Generally, when you're looking at what you want that next composition of the board to be like and what you hope will be different, um, what are you looking to see? What kind of changes do you want? And what what do you want the board's approach to be generally? Are you looking for more bold candidates? Are there people who you specifically want to see? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty shameless that I'm a big fan of Jay Mason. I think Jay Mason's focus on... Um, uh, racial equity, I think his experience in eliminating the achievement gaps group, I think his community experience would be really valuable for the board. In terms of boldness, I am tired of sitting there and saying things are hard. I'm tired of the status quo. We have opportunity and achievement gaps in Frederick County that keep me awake at night, and that is that is not a lie. We have, I joined the board because I was concerned about the growing poverty in Frederick County, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm really a true believer. I believe in public education, but you know, we can't blame this on the budget anymore. It's, you know, 2014 is different than 2018. We we cannot keep d demanding that our county executive, not demanding, but we can't keep saying we get well over half of the, ta you know, the tax funds in Frederick County in our school system. And we have moved our teachers aggressively to the new salary scale because, and I voted for that and I advocate for that because the most valuable thing for any student is a caring teacher but we've got to look hard at what is what is impacting the achievement of our students. Frederick County is no different than many, many jurisdictions across the country for our English language learners, for our African-American students, for our special education students, and for our many, many students who live at or below the poverty line. But also Frederick County, we could be doing things better for all of those students. And having those hard conversations, we're getting ready to have a, a meeting on Wednesday, our policy committee meeting, where we've invited folks from the community to talk about racial equity and how we could really get a community-focused racial equity um, committee going. Um, those conversations are long overdue, and I'm <clears throat> I would like colleagues who are, who are not content, con content to say this is hard, but to really look for solutions and then to measure results and say, you know what, let's stop spending money on this and let's put money here and resources here. So that's what I'm interested in. 
and what ideas do you do you personally have or want to bring forward in that in that conversation to to make some progress on closing that achievement gap? I know that's been a big goal of the superintendent. Yeah, well, we haven't we 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 enacted an equity policy, and without any kind of action, that equity policy is kind of just fluffy, right? So we do we spend um, we spend different amounts of money on different students. We spend eight million dollars right now in Frederick County to bus um, special education students out of the county. So if we're spending $8 million a year, why are we not building a facility? These are particularly students uh, who are newer diverse, so students on the autism spectrum, students with um, uh, some uh, other neuropsych issues. I mean, why are we not investing a facility in Frederick County to serve their needs here? We increase achievement. We have another place for students who may not um, function well in a regular class environment. That's, that's one idea. Um, for our African-American students, again, it comes down to you know, looking hard at um, looking hard at their grades, looking hard at the connections they have with teachers. Um, one of the things that Mr. Mason talks about a lot is, you know, having the experience himself, and then his one of his children having the experience of not being um, offered or placed into an accelerated class. This isn't like a, a two-year cultural proficiency conversation. This is an accountability conversation for our staff. So what is it that's keeping you from letting these students be challenged? So the hard questions and hard answers, and then we have to take action. Um, English language learners in Frederick County, we are um, investing a record amount of money in those programs. Um, but I think, again, it's um, some of these students are first generation. They haven't been exposed to college, college readiness before and things like that. It's those personal connections. So um, all of our students need something different, and we need to make sure that we're providing those things. And that's an equity conversation because that looks different, not just from school to school, but from classroom to classroom, from person to person. And I think um, better communication with families and supporting families. And then countywide solutions where our school system actually collaborates with our county to figure out some of these poverty issues we're not going to solve poverty, but we've got $114 million school at Frederick High School. What can we be using that school for to serve the community? We've got $35 million Butterfly Ridge. How can we better utilize that space to serve the community? What community resources can we provide there? So all of those things work together. Awesome. Well, that's all the time we have for today. That feels like it went pretty fast, but it did. we we, uh, <laughs> we really appreciate you coming in. For, for voters, uh, I just want to let them know early voting begins October 25th. Election day is November 6th. Liz, thank you so much for coming on and, and the best of luck on November 6th. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you.